but there's actually a need and there's a problem to solve. So moving beyond those assumptions that we can just do a very simple intervention, but having solid insights that, that there is an issue, there's a problem, there's a need, and there's a role for us to play in that. And then I think it's taking it that next step further to have practical, tangible stuff you can do, whether that's shifting governance arrangements or running an initiative or, or moving the way that you do a product or, or things that you prioritise, but tangible, regular stuff that, that businesses and leaders can do. And then the other two are more um, inward and outward looking, I guess, is the way that I describe it. So the first you'll hear, hear me bang on on a lot about is um, authenticity. So for leaders to realise that, that it, it's not about being all things to all people and solving all of the SDGs, you know, in one 10-year plan to, to figure out what is it that you actually have authenticity to, to play a role in. And then the final being networks. Um, so again, these issues are not solved by one business, one sector. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customised explorative research on key consumer markets, customers and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behaviour change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by Ebony Gaylor, managing partner of newly launched social cause agency Decade of Action, a partnership with Thinkerbell's Adam Ferrier and Margie Reid. Ebony has held key strategy and social change roles, most recently for the Australian Red Cross. We discuss Ebony's background and childhood and the motivation behind Decade of Action and why businesses play a critical role in addressing urgent global challenges over the next 10 years and beyond. We discuss how business has a critical role to play and needs to take more targeted and authentic action. We explore the key role of evidence in identifying critical causes that may seem left of centre to many of the more visible issues that come top of mind and approaches to working with influential businesses, brands, governments and movements to boldly define their purpose platform and galvanise their assets, ideas and to have a positive impact on the world. Uh, let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ebony. I'm going to start off where I start all of these interviews. What were you like as a, a kid? What were you like as an eight-year-old? Uh, as an eight-year-old, I was out on the streets playing games and sports. I was super active. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think I was the kind of kid that grew up very much in my body rather than in my head. So I was always what, busy what do you mean and there? frustrated and running. So when you say you grew up in your body, um, your head. That I would not have been the kind um, well, I think now being a mum, you sort of notice some of the different ways that kids just come into the world as they are. So I'm somebody that likes to experience things. I, I think I deal as an adult in very conceptual things, but I've always been somebody that wants the, the actual experience. I want to live through it, see it, feel it and touch it. So I think as a kid, 
and that I was constantly climbing, running, digging, playing sports. Do you, do you think that's changing? Do you feel like kids are changing in terms of that ability to like, be active and physical? And what, Are you coming to the same thing with your children? Um, no, I think you've got to go where the energy is with your kids. I think, you yeah, know, very okay. quickly realise you've got zero, well, very little control as a parent. Um, I think the circumstances of COVID are a pretty unique time to, to be a parent. Um where there there are even more things that are beyond your control or influence. Um, so I think, you know, the way that, that people are growing up now is, of course, different as it is with any other generation before. Um, and I think it's that rapid upkeep that parents now need to have um, that, that's probably accelerated. Things like I never expected a, how to know how to navigate things like YouTube or Roblox or friends that don't physically exist. Um, so I think it's accelerated, but it's probably very similar issues to decades ago. Mm, but it's certainly not, you can't replicate that. So you can't, children don't come out of a box and you don't say, well, I want to produce a child like that. You need to, sound like you need to, like, like the times, you need to flow with the child and who they are yeah. and what what um what what they're into and, and what sort of per, what what's their makeup um just like you can't really control yeah. the way the world goes really all the trends and technology and the ways we interact is that is that fair you want to go with the flow yeah I, I would think that that's the case yeah 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 i would think that that's the case with any sort of complex system so i think you know and humans are a really good example of a complex adaptive system where Control is, is implied but, but never really eventuates. So rather than maybe go with the flow, I'd say you've got to have good visibility and, and look to influence um, so that, you know, things are heading in a reasonable direction that, that you would like them to. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think realising that control is very limited. So what are the preconditions that you put in place to hopefully set up for a thriving life or community space? So how did your child inform your adult? Can you sort of reflect back now and go, I was like that as a kid, yeah, no, I'm like this as an adult, so I can connect the dots? Um, oh, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm probably quite different as an adult. So I think, as I said, I was a very physical kid, so grew up just sport was my life. Um, and I think that that ethos of community, team, um, collaboration is absolutely in my blood. I, I don't really apply that in sporting environments anymore. Um, but I think that's what I bring to my professional life. I think that's what I bring to my family life is this idea of in it together, you know, um, dive in head first, have a go at anything. Um, so, yeah, I guess those components sort of run through. Um, but I think that I am someone who sits there's that quadrant of known knowns through to unknown unknowns and i think i'm i'm very aware of um how little i know and about the world and things generally so i feel like i'm always in that position of exploring and learning and mm. um, and i think that's yeah the beauty that, that i get to bring that to life through my work that's good and another kind of question before we kind of get proper into the discussion of what's what's a weird thing you've seen over the last week or so something that sort of really you've seen either locally or globally and there's lots of weird stuff going on that you've kind of looked at and gone wow that's 
that's that's um freaky freaky good or freaky not so good yeah i think you know there's there's no shortage of that at the moment <laughs> um and it's almost a new a new bar has been set um i think there was so we're in wave two of lockdown in melbourne and i remember with the first wave i was working i was pretty involved in the humanitarian response work through my previous work and the major concern was behavior shift how will we get the community to do all of these quarantine and isolation measures and and how do you have those conversations with your family and so i think the weird thing that i've probably noticed this time around is a real openness by quite diverse people um, and a real visibility of where people stand on those sort of issues. So it's surprised me, I guess, how easy it's been to talk about, no, we can't bend the rules, no, we must stay home, the numbers are serious. Like, the, it, it's stuff that, you know, from if I think from a system design perspective, it takes decades to create those cognitive shifts, let alone the narrative sort of shifts. So I think, you know, as a systems thinker, that's been quite perplexing to, to to try and absorb that great to watch but perplexing and, and I, I guess as a like I'm, I'm hearing sort of levels of researcher in you or a human observer of this has been a, a year where you can actually see the best and worst of people so you can see how they behave where sometimes in previous years it's been a bit theoretical of how would people behave and how do we influence that change so we have such massive change and we see whether I guess even from an Australian level or even globally of how do we respond? Is that, is that like, have you kind of been, where have you been surprised at how, I guess, responsive Australians are to a situation like COVID? Are there areas where you've kind of been? So I think, you know, it's been very interesting with the different types of issues, I think, that we've been able to see play out. So we did some really great um, mapping work around the humanitarian response during the bushfire season um, mm. earlier this year. And, you know, a heavily sort of researched behavioural model that, that we looked at that was beyond structural um, and organisation type responses. It was really the everyday humanitarians. How is it that humans respond to this? And I think the the big um, thing that I'm pondering at the moment is the bushfires pushed a real outward focus, a, this huge outpour from community about what can I do? And it, like all things, it was attached to sense of self, social identity. So mums wanting to give to families, architects wanting to build fences or houses, farmers giving to farmers. But it was this very much this outward, what can I give to the greater issue or cause? Whereas I think with COVID, what we are seeing is an inverse version of that, where people are going, wow, this impacts me, my loved ones, my family. So people are seeking change and action in a way that's much more inward focused. How do I keep me safe, my family safe, my business, my client, very inward. And that shrinking, again, is, is valid and okay and I think would fit neatly with any kind of health series. But then if I look, you know, to the decade ahead and the types of issues we're dealing with, um, trying to think through if that is a narrative shift for people, where people are thinking about causes and issues in a more inward way, how do we keep making sure that things like climate are relevant uh, and that we can move in those areas in ways beyond aspiration and intent? So, uh, yeah, I think that's a really interesting, very short time frame to be seeing big shifts like that yeah. in um, 
in Australian culture. It has been an interesting thing from like the bushfires, as you said, and and COVID of responses in terms of, I guess, kindness of how can I give, but also self-preservation. And even with COVID, I guess we early on in COVID, it was stockpiling toilet paper and everything from a supermarket you possibly could. I'd like to think that's maybe, do you kind of think that it's evolved beyond self-preservation to you're not seeing as many signs from COVID of, I guess, kindness and others as maybe we did in bushfires? Is that what you're saying? Um, I think that there's maybe less to do about kindness and more to do about self-preservation. Yeah, okay. So it's pretty tough for people walking the aisles of supermarkets thinking I'm not going to panic buy. That's not who I am. And to see, you know, the minimal number of um, levers that need to be pulled for anybody to move into that space. And it makes a lot of sense. You need to have what you need to have. And, you know, there's all sorts of wonderful theories emerging around why that was the go-to for people. So I, I think that we are all... Um, I have this idea of like a minimum viable human. Everybody does what they can to give generously and participate in a, in a civic society in the way that they can. Sometimes that is channeled in very outward ways. Somewhat, sometimes that's channeled quite internally. I don't think that one is more valuable than the other. And I think when you are in a pandemic situation, which is so unique and nothing Australia has ever experienced, especially compared to other nations, it's probably very sound for people to be looking to home and not just in how you're coping with COVID, but all the other issues that are going in on, you know, in terms of mental health, family violence, homelessness, drug and alcohol. Um, now is a very good time, and as is always, to be looking at home and in your own communities and thinking about what you can do. Mm. So when you uh, get to launching um, Decade of Action, mm. only last week or so, it's only been a week, yeah. a week or two ago, where did that come from? Was that it? Was that a long term time sort of thinking around this concept, or was it? Did you see the year evolving and thought this is a really good time for change? Yeah. So I th I've spent pretty much my entire career in systems change and disruption. So and and have you know worked in governments and not for profits and commercial spaces, all looking at how is it that you actually design for change. Um, in linking in with Adam and Margie through Thinkabell, we, we've collaborated on various sort of initiatives over the last few years and have always felt that there's this unique space that really looks to walk alongside business and brand and, and figure out their, we sort of describe it as this sort of slither, this, this fibre of authenticity that, that they can offer. I think we have had um, urgency building over the last five years in particular, and, and I'd say that that's visible urgency, whether it's been people taking to the streets um, and protesting or it's been more businesses taking on their sort of purpose aspirations in, in much more tangible ways. I, I think that that's been, you know, if, if there were an exponential curve, it's probably been building momentum for some mm. time. Um, I think the thing that I'm reminded of, though, is that... that and time is something we play with quite a bit through DOA, this idea of what will you do and when will you do it. Um, you know, CSR and business as a force for good has been around for hundreds of years. Mm. So in some ways, this is not a new concept at all. Um, but to your point earlier, I think what's been missing is the 
brave decision making of this is what we will focus on and this is where we can have most potency and the tangible action and that's why the when you know we will do this today we will do this in a year's time and, and we will land here in 10 years time and i think that's really hard for business to do to move beyond the the golden values clock and into tangible action and impact and i'm assuming from a business side there's lots of discussion around business for good but the profit is still a obviously an imperative and profit is 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 good and bad it's good because it needs means you can employ people it's bad sometimes because that becomes the the sole focus and can lead to sort of um questionable behaviors but when you get to a financial year like we've just had where profit was often just the was like the rug being pulled out from underneath businesses feet that suddenly you ain't gonna make the profit you're not going to grow does that does that give opportunity for what doa is talking about of it's now a better time to make that change it's 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 more possibly yeah so i you know the the hard line i take on that is they have no option mm. um and and there's three reasons for that i guess so one is the nature of complex social issues it's no there's no one brand sector industry that's caused problems like homelessness or nuclear weapons and um, so the nature of these issues mean that we need all sectors and industries to acknowledge and take a more active role in them the other being that business actually has a really unique role to play in solving those it doesn't have to be in program or service delivery doesn't have to be in philanthropy alone or single day volunteering it actually just looking at the capital of your business and figuring out again that authentic role that you mm. can play sometimes it's stopping doing things you know and, that, and that's yeah. good too okay. and then the other bit is in the next 10 years the businesses that will thrive and we have many trends showing us this are ones that are able to hold the tension of purpose and profit they don't have to be in, in competition with one another and i think for uh, some time now we have been taught and told the story to chase business models that seek massive growth encourage you know corporate slavery if you want to be extreme and um, but they are business models that exceed the limitations of the earth and that's been the north star that, that we are supposed to chase as, as business leaders and doa is basically saying with many other leaders that there's another way you know we, we need to think about progress and success very differently and that's not about separating out your bottom lines it's actually a reframe a reframe an entire mind shift around what success looks like with thriving business and thriving communities so where have you found success in in getting business leaders that no business wants to be bad but sometimes it's i guess just their motivations are driven by a board or whatever so what, what have you found as some of the the um i know the, the the angles you might emphasize to leaders that they that something clicks and they go yep we agree we need to push forward with this um i guess the change we need to be uh we need to be moving forward with it with it um rather rather than yeah just being sort of more myopic about profit Hmm. So there's, there's like four amplifiers that, that we talk about with business as a 
leader in change. One is around knowledge and insights, and that's really valuing evidence. We can be with a complex, messy problem, whether it's gender equity or, you know, you could list any other. It's very easy for us to go, yes, the problem is gender. We must get more women, and but it doesn't actually start, help us make progress on those issues. So showing um, businesses and brands solid evidence bases and insights that, that are actionable, I think, is, is really useful. The other issue, is around action. Sorry. So practical, tangible stuff. Yeah, that there's actually a need and there's a yeah. problem to solve. So moving beyond those assumptions that we can just do a very simple intervention, but having solid insights that, that there is an issue, there's a problem, there's a need, and there's a role for us to play in that. And then I think it's taking it that next step further to have practical, tangible stuff you can do, whether that's shifting governance arrangements or running an initiative or, or moving the way that you do a product or, or things that you prioritise, but tangible, regular stuff that, that businesses and leaders can do. And then the other two are more um, inward and outward looking, I guess, is the way that I describe it. So the first you'll hear me bang on a lot about is um, authenticity so for leaders to realize that, that it, it's not about being all things to all people and solving all of the SDGs you know in one 10-year plan to figure out what is it that you actually have authenticity to to play a role in and then the final being networks and um, so again these issues are not solved by one business one sector and it actually needs businesses and leaders to think in more networked ways and figure out who is it that we need around the table to really uh, drive change forward rather than a pretty narrative of how we think change may have happened. So would you kind of find an organisation that's looking to be more authentic, looking to have a, this is a decade of change, and then you kind of start working through with them about where, where their emphasis might be? Yeah, so we... we play with that in a couple of ways so and and i think you know the, the main driver for that is we we massively underestimate progress over a period of time um and and we're easily distracted from that progress so it's really trying to uh focus the effort and energy of business and brands over over that period of time so typically we love to start every engagement with a client by saying, in the next 10 years, where is it that you want to be? What will success look like? Um, and the alternative version of that is, let's imagine you disappear entirely in the next 10 years. And mm. who would care? What would the impact be? Yeah. Um, what we bring is deep knowledge in the humanitarian issues and aspirations of our time. So we're not specific to only the sustainable development goals or the global grand challenges of singularity U. We look across many and we look from both a challenge perspective as well as a minimum standards for thriving communities perspective. And then we bring a deep knowledge into the levers and power um, that business and brand can bring. So we start by looking to the future. We then get a baseline of, of where um, each client is at. And I think, you know, surprisingly, what, what we often find is that clients underestimate the, the progress that's been made. Um, so it's good for, to get visibility of the strengths and assets. So for their own organisation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. People are pretty hard on themselves. Oh, so they're actually doing more than what they might think they're doing. Yeah, people yeah, okay. are, are pretty hard on themselves. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, definitely. So would you like, would you encourage an organisation to find multiple areas that they're, they're having a focus on or is it being more um, focusing on a particular area, a humanitarian really area or a 
Yeah, look, really depends on two things. One, it depends on the value that our client can bring to a particular issue. The other is around timeliness. So there's some great stuff done around pace and velocity of change over time. So if we look at an issue like smoking and death rates associated with that, that essentially took 50 plus years for there to be significant change mm. over time. So what we're able to do is look at where the flex points are over time and within systems. So it might be, and I think that's a comfort space for a lot of clients to pick a particular issue that, that they will choose to have an impact on. But what we like to think of behind that is what's the most valuable role that you can actually play and that role may be really useful across multiple issues and that's totally fine but we start to pull that apart in what we call a, a purpose platform which makes it really clear what is your your authentic voice and, and action and behavior in this space what are the things that will help you know you're living it and where do you start and so those regular pivot points to know do you need to change whether it's your role or the type of action or the cause but how do you change that over time that's it it, all, it seems to me that you've, it's almost having it so um, allowing the organisation to have focus on what issues they're going to support over that, for example, decade, rather than having it so they might have monkey mind and ever-changing what they're focused on. That sort of allows them to have a focus on some particular issues and then steps in place of what they can do. Is that fair? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think, you know, looking beyond that individual cause, it's what does it mean for them in 10 years to be part of a thriving community or an abundant future and stepping back around how do you design for that? So to get to get to that point, you may need to tackle a number of really different issues and there there will be new ones emerging. So ideally, we, we help clients get into a space where they're able to adapt and make decisions as they build over time. Mm. But it sounds like... Um you would prefer to or you're primarily seeking companies that want to make that commitment over the next decade so you're not necessarily looking for clients that might say i will do it for a month or two and but is that i guess it might not necessarily no, be no. Yeah, not necessarily no no not at all um and i think it's you know deeply hard for people to imagine a relationship that they can have for a 10-year period oh, no. so we, we won't be <laughs> opening asking for marriage and i think that what we want to do is make it as easy as possible for businesses and brands to take a step in the right direction so you'll start to see a bunch of articles and online tools that come through that are simple self-assessments that anybody can use to do a bit of a sense check of where you're at and where your areas of focus might be um, for some, they will want that long-term vision and they will want to see regular milestones that they're making towards that. Whereas I think we're, we're not in an environment where we could bank on all businesses being around in 10 years. So we like to work in, in more incremental ways uh, with our clients. Hmm. But surely you hope in 10 years' time you're, you're still working with many of the same organisations. So You would hope so. You would hope so. And they've all made lots of change. <laughs> and... I'm again. I'm assuming that uh, the the focus areas that the organisations are working on and putting steps into it that's helps to underpin their brand and their their internal culture. Is that fair? Yeah. So I think you know when we start to think about authenticity, um, definitely brand, voice, behaviour, how, how those things play out are, are really crucial. Um, we, we use a few different tools to help unpack that. And it's about looking beyond what you 
aspire and, and think and, and hope to be. It's really looking at what are some of the signals that tell us where you're at with that. And I think that first step of saying, absolutely, this is who we hope to be as a business, and you may be really close to that and that's great, but understanding some of the, the roads uh, or gaps between that and roadmaps to get you there is, is critical. So we look at things like... Um, brand, voice, personality, how others in the network perceive you and participate with you. We, we look at things like beliefs and assumptions and, and how they um, play out in your business and in your broader network that you deal with. We look at rules and norms. We look at artefacts and products that, that you create. And, and we like to do that not just in-house with our clients but with their stakeholders as well so that we can get, the, you know, I, I sort of think about this um, nice thread between sort of humanitarian issues and businesses and we want to get as much uh, visibility of that thread as possible. Because if you've got huge strengths in um, the rules and norms and things that you're creating and really disrupting governance, then great, let's play to that strength. Um, but if your aspiration is disrupting in some other way or some other specific cause, then maybe we need to look at supply chain or products. So it's visibility of that thread, I think, is most important. Yeah. So building on their existing core strengths wherever possible. Yeah, definitely. And their aspirations. You know, I think it, it's important for us to have the baseline of where they're at, their strengths and weaknesses, but to really work with the, the energy and the aspiration that people have. Yeah. But it's, it, it comes down to, at the end of the day, about their, the essence of their brand. Does it, mm -hmm. it it's, it's about the doing good, but the doing good becomes an essence of their brand. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think all, I'm trying to think of who would be um, defining, you know, what, what we mean by brand. So I think the, the way that I like to encourage our clients to think about that is beyond the transaction and to think in more networked ways of that brand. So, you know, if your success is around being an influential brand or having people super connected, then what are the different ways that you, you measure that and your network would measure that and that's customers that's shareholders that's staff that's suppliers so I, I would say yes it's around the essence of the brand so long as we're taking into account the broader network part of that hmm. and is it about um the brand is just is seen to be good to be doing good things um and there's a, just a i don't know a vibe of goodness so there's a whole lot of things they're doing and it's only known internally or is it sort of is it does it get to the point where it's i know the the, the for goodness becomes i know pr stories or advertising or where, where, where's the sort of i guess the the line or the story or i guess it depends doesn't it really on the organization and how they want to manifest manifest that in their in their story moving forward i think we can always grab a story i think you know what we need to help clients do is move beyond that to measurable action and contribution so we're not we're not expecting to be able to say yeah we've sorted loneliness and you know family violence is definitely on the down courtesy of this great dishwashing tablet brand you know that, that's that's not the lead it, and so sometimes those roles will feel a little bit invisible Mm. Um, but really, we have a very, very strong um, emphasis on evidence and, and data um, so that we've got something beyond our own story to demonstrate progress over time. Mm. And, and the strategy will likely be different 
for different organisations. So some might keep all the things they're doing private to themselves and others might use it as a bit more of a platform for for telling their story more publicly. Yeah, absolutely. And there will be some clients where it's actually really useful for them to do that, you know, to promote that their product is helpful in a range of health issues or building social connection. And um, I think that, that consumers are pretty onto it when brands are doing a bit of a spin around how great they are. It's the same as mm. with any friend or colleague you might have. If somebody's protesting how great they are and what a good human they are, it's especially in an Australian context, it's pretty off-putting. Um, so the brands won't get a lot of um, airtime with that sort of approach. And I, I think what we will see over the next five to 10 years in particular is an increased expectation of brands not just talking the talk, but being able to demonstrate that and do that in a way that's not just tangible and meaningful to me, but is meaningful on a global stage. So it's actually metrics that are meaningful, they matter. Can you explain a bit more about the metrics you might use? How do you... Yeah, for sure. So, well, in my PhD research, where focuses on um, social connection and hybrid realities. So the, the history of loneliness and belonging and social connection and cohesion and, you know, insert every other word you, you could there is typically measured by um, a subjective feeling. So how connected people deem themselves to be at a particular point in time which is massively problematic because if you ask most people at the moment are you feeling lonely you know pretty much everybody <laughs> would say yes yeah. um but this is a subjective feeling so and my academic mates would tear me apart for for being so flippant about those types of scales that they use that are heavily evidence informed for me meaningful metrics are things that have deep evidence driving them but they are actionable by the mainstream um, and, and social connection is a really good example there. So what we're chasing at the moment is a metric that helps measure the health of someone's connection at an individual through to a societal level in a way that is usable by Facebook so that they stop selling connection and start designing for it. Um, so the metrics there are totally unknown and we're, we're uncovering them at the moment. Yeah, if we look at something like um, nuclear weapons, actually, no, I'll talk about housing. We you know, would automatically go to we need to build more houses for people and that could be our, our metric around understanding homelessness, um, how many people are without a specific home, but it fails to take into account cultural considerations, changes in the way that we live, and it assumes that the solution to homelessness is actually around um, building more houses, whereas meaningful metrics could be further down or earlier in, in that track to say, well, what is it that's enabling people to remain homeless and how do we start designing for some of that? So it's metrics that are actionable. Yeah, okay, that's good. We were doing a fair bit of work at the moment about loneliness and we started doing it before um, COVID hit uh, and then rolled through it. But it's interesting in things like loneliness, the loneliest age group is 18 to 24-year-olds and then there's some other age groups as well. So this is really fascinating stuff that the people who maybe wouldn't necessarily immediately think are are lonely and maybe a little bit more lonely than um, that might than might be expected when you start looking at the data. Um, so well, definitely, and I think loneliness is an interesting one. So, yep, we've got a, a peak in early adulthood and late adulthood. But if you early adulthood is really interesting because 
where I think we, we see it fall apart is there is massive life transitions going on in that That's time. Wrong. So reconsidering parent roles, changing jobs, changing location, fluid friendship groups, rethinking your social identity. Um, and you've got all of these feedback loops telling you that you've, you're not enough and That's you've right. not got exactly. enough. So I think one of the greatest interventions we could do to solve loneliness is to tell everyone they're okay. If you have one friend and it happens to be a toaster, great, you're okay. You, connections are, are fine because of that subjective nature. So I think we need to pull back from tick box metrics to say what is the data we can gather that mm. will help us get visibility of this problem and take a really good next step. Yeah. Even as you're going through this the, the discussion today, uh, I guess some of the clients we're working with and just discussions we're having, it's almost more and more having a business that's got a for-profit bit and then a, a for good. So there's a there's a purpose they're trying to impact. So still mm. needs to make money because money employs people and makes progress. And then there's a, a focused area or areas, for example, loneliness or or homelessness or whatever it might be um, that you're focusing on. Is that is that how you might work with some organisations that they've got their their for-profit bit and they've got another bit that might be a an area they might. I put some funds into and put some systems thinking into to be able to drive that change? I think that can be a good truck stop for, yeah. for companies if that's where they're at. I think what, what DOA is more interested in is how do we look at how you're currently operating now okay. um, to build that in. So, again, if we play with loneliness, for example, um, there's a peak for people who start a new job and we had people start new jobs during COVID. So, you know, s- sympathy out to, <laughs> to people who have had to do that. <laughs> let alone launch a business, right? Um, And there's this drop-off point. So people feel hyper-connected when they start a new job. But after about six weeks, and there's this sweet spot at the six-week point, the coffee catch-ups go, the work is still in a bit of limbo. So there's this massive peak um, in in disruptions to sense of social connection, let alone if you've got other things going on in your life or some sort of systemic disadvantage playing out. So if a workplace is interested in loneliness – I would argue there's no need to set up a different team. There's this massive opportunity, particularly at the moment, to think about the role you play as a workplace, as a business, as a brand, to connect people and to nurture their sense of of connection, whether it's how you use Zoom, whether it's how you structure teams or how you onboard people. But I think that ability to look inward and outward as a business rather than thinking purpose is a separate thing is crucial to the urgent action that's needed now. And, and obviously that's, that's say, looking at, we've been talking about loneliness, but looking at an issue within the organisation. What about sort of saying, oh, there's a, I don't know, we talked about homelessness before, we're going to put more money into homelessness or we're going to volunteer in the soup kitchen or the, the is, is that, is that, would you do that? Would you encourage organisations to making, I guess, volunteering in the community or... Yeah, look, I think there's huge need for that. Um, and if that's what's of interest to the client to go and do volunteering, absolutely. You know, we, we have good relationships and networks and can point them in the right direction. I think what we want to help our clients see is that the very nature of their existence means that they are contributing to, in either positive or negative ways, the existence of all of the social issues of our time. Yeah, okay whether that's climate, family violence, housing, nuclear, um, data and identity, they are playing a role in all of those. Even choosing to advertise with Facebook is a, mm. is a purposeful yeah. decision 
right? Even choosing your superannuation provider or, or your banks or, you know, we can go back to some of um, Peter Singer's work, um, Effective Altruism, which needs some builds, but there are lots we can do within the bubble of that business. And for some, it may be more useful for their teams to be feeling connected to other organisations. And as I say, there's definitely a need for it. But what we want to really help businesses and brands do is to do some of that deep thought yeah, about okay. who are we, what do we represent and what potency can we really bring to the world? So that's self-aware. It starts with self-awareness. So it starts with that understanding what we're doing, that our own practices are positive. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it, then and it you're, grows and you're, from you're that. Yeah, yeah, and your aspirations around it. So, you know, the majority of staff now expect um, their business to play a positive role in community and the, the expectations around being able to demonstrate that will increase. Even through COVID, the expectations of brands and business to partner with government to solve it and to act more quickly than government um, to solve COVID and, and take action on it is massively increased. It's up around the 70, 80% mark. So the expectations of businesses and leaders to do this is huge. And mm. um, what's missing are those practical steps. And I think you can do some of the scaffolding bits of a program or fund an initiative or volunteer with something else. But back to that point around why business needs to do this, the issues are more complex than a day of volunteering. Yeah. They have more to offer than that. They really, really do. And their people have more to offer than that. And businesses will only thrive if they can move beyond the, the surface level scaffolded do good approaches. So they're the drivers that we really wanna help our clients grapple with. Okay, so more so helping to have purpose and change within their DNA and how do you provide some tools and mechanisms for systems thinking so they're aware of that, and that self-awareness, mm -hmm. as opposed to an organisation saying, well, no, for, I don't want to pick on the banks or the mining companies are saying, we're not seen as being good and, and we want to do something that makes us look good because yeah. we've got a bad rep out there and, and we want to, we want to do, be, be seen as good in the community. So what do we do? So it's, it's, it, it, I guess you might work with some of those organisations, but it's more about having it so in their DNA, it's 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 positive. They're 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 aware of their decisions and what impact that might have, and and how do we, how do they influence that change? Totally, because yeah. it, it's choices and trade offs, right? So it it may well be, um, you know, and we'd love to work with banks, mining companies, insurance companies, <laughs> and the works because. There is lots that, that can be done. And again, it doesn't have to be in competition entirely uh, with their business model. And, and that's what we're looking to unpack. We talk about mind shifts, you know, that, that we work with leaders to take. And, and some of them are really simple around moving from um, aspirations to, to action. But one of the really critical ones that business needs to make is moving from selling to solving. Because mm. um, it's one thing to sell that, that you're good or, you know, that you're doing good. And you can get a, get away with it to a certain extent, but it's a pretty tough sell. Um, and so businesses and leaders need to figure out how they start contributing to solving these issues and, and demonstrating that in very uh, tangible, meaningful ways. Mm. And it sounds like 2020 is that year because of so much disruption there's mm. a pause so maybe there is an openness to having such discussions around how do we how do we frame our thinking beyond rhetoric like i don't know triple bottom line or whatever it might be it's about saying well how do we actually have this so it is a a proper well thought even mm. it sounds like even what what sort of business do we want to be at least for the next next decade yeah 
Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think it's that DNA stuff. Who do we want to be? What do we want to stand for? And how do we help that be owned by, by our network? Um, yeah, that's that's where we want to lean in. Yeah. A few of these interviews um, for the podcast have been around business for good and can you have a business mm-hmm. for good? And um, But profit, obviously profit is, is a critical kind of driver. Um and it needs to be genuine and all the sort of things you've talked about t- today. What's your sort of thinking on that idea of like yeah, profit versus for good? Like how, how do you, I guess that sort of can be a bit of a, an internal debate of going, well, for good, no business intends to be bad and, and of course we want to be good. <laughs> yeah. But how, how do we how do we drive that? Like how do we, it, it almost sort of, I guess, that even authenticity, well, that's an obvious one. Like we, we all want to mm. be authentic, but things that are in the way we have to be inauthentic or don't no one intends to be inauthentic either but how do you i don't know how do you how do you how do you have it so you've got a good strong profitable growing business that's also doing good yeah i and i think that you know that's the the challenge for for any leader or, or manager right now i think that what is under that is the model of profit that we have been chasing mm-hmm. which is this exponential growth mentality and and that you need to do that at all costs because growth and um, mass consumer buy-in or control is everything so i think that profit gets plastered across that unhelpfully um to your point we need businesses to thrive but that can't happen at the cost of humans and the planet we're currently operating at 1.5 planets which is a little bit problematic you know um so it's a mind shift from what success really looks like and some of our social media friends are not good poster children for for what success looks like and i think the challenge is that we then have brands who are phenomenal like the patagonias and the unilevers and the danones but for most business leaders to think of getting from where they are now to Patagonia is tough. So I like to say DOA is not the the kind of Gwyneth Paltrow version of purpose. It's yeah. more the Rebel Wilson, make you feel uncomfortable, smart, intelligent, but it, it's more there's more grit to it um, because not everybody needs to be Patagonia. What we need to find is that authentic value that you already bring to, to community and how we help you make purposeful decisions around that and prioritise that when the going gets tough because shit's going to get hard and that's when we move to our default behaviours of profit growth is everything. So it's that that mind shift and those practical roadmaps that help clients experience being able to hold that tension. And it's not about one over the other. It is a, it's a tightrope that you navigate as a business leader, you navigate as a parent, um, mm-hmm. you know, ideally as a parent, more good than evil, but questionable some days, right? And um, so it's it's helping leaders find comfort in the uncomfortable. Yeah, okay. If we go back, where do you think business and brands got it wrong? Like, where, where did they get either sort of this, um, yeah, like, wh- why is it so important to have a business like um, Decade of Action? Because we make it too easy for our default behaviours to take advantage of humanity and to exceed the limits of Earth, not to be too dramatic, but it's too easy for that to happen. And you've just got to look at some of the greatest scandals, business and brand scandals of our time, whether it's the the Nike sweatshops or, you know, um, 
the the Facebook um, Cambridge Analytica stuff. It's too easy for those decisions to be made somewhere down the line that, that normalises that and makes us feel okay about that. So I think we've had an era where that's been easy easy to do i think what we're now experiencing is massive increases in expectations and ability to have transparency ar around business and i think that's a huge lever for us to collaborate with other networks on is how do you actually get um true transparency of what a business is about and, and what they're doing um, and i think the expectations and the model is changing but that's happened over decades you know we, we've had since the 50s the argument that business is to drive profit for shareholders full stop and, and i think there's still really strong threads for that in community i think the beauty we've got in 2020 is the planet is saying we've we've had enough <laughs> and yeah. business has to play a different role we, we're doing we're just finishing off some research at the moment Called, call it make love not war and it focuses on what people what Australians love to do and we're doing some quality we're just finishing off some qualitative and um and it's been interesting we did some primary school kids up to 70 plus year olds and uh it's been interesting right. I guess in some of the, the the brands that tend to come up strongest in the brand bit of the work are those um what do they say the kings of the market some of the, when we did yeah. the last lot of groups of kids we're talking about going they're just so dominant they're just so strong and um, some of the other people in the groups of some kids and, 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 not, and the adults as well said, um, we kind of know that some of these brands like Nike and Apple aren't completely, yeah. completely ethical, but if we, if they had to be completely ethical, all the products would be more expensive or even though they trust the yeah. products so much that they, they don't really question the ethics of these businesses. And so that's yeah. a kind of a snapshot of, I guess, 2020. We did the same work we started in 2010. So there's, I guess there's those kind of, those sort of burning decks of change where people are talking about the need for climate change, the need for, mm. um, we've got sort of Black Lives Matter more recently. So that's there. But then as a broad social kind of community, we're all a bit complacent sometimes that we go, yeah, I know, but they make an awesome phone or they make awesome shoes. Yeah. So. I, I guess I'm sort of putting that in of going, we like we might say we want change, but then at the end of the day, people do support businesses that maybe aren't ethical. And like, totally, how, like, how do you how do you influence that? Like, well, I think we support change, but we're we're less supportive of action, um, yeah, okay. whether that's an individual or or a business. The intent to action gap on complex social issues is huge. And we, I've done quite a bit of research in this space to look at well, what are the drivers? Because what, what we found was that the conversion rate was as low as five or 6% with humanitarian issues. So everybody wants to solve loneliness and family violence, but the number of people who actually translate that, even into tackling a, a complex conversation with a family member is very disappointingly low. And mm -hmm. it's because it's hard, right? And it's not an issue that affects me right now. So that very simple fog model of motivation and ease, social issues are, you know, right down in, in here. Right. They're hard. And I think that the, the not-for-profit sector has a lot of responsibility around that where we have created a competitive market led by government tendering. We've sold the idea of complexity, which is I sort of describe it as the 7-Eleven holdup of it's too complex, put your hands up, give me all your money and we'll sort it. And I think that's made it easy for us as individuals and businesses to distance ourselves 
not necessarily from responsibility. I think we all feel guilty about it, but to distance ourselves from action. So I think what, what is needed is that very tangible, great that you're passionate and aspirational, but what will you do and, and yeah, when will you do okay. it? So it's the steps. The steps are the critical one. Yep. So we can have these wonderful visions of where we want to be in 10 years' time, but if we don't put those micro steps individually and as businesses to get there, then we're not going to get there. Totally. And the nature of a, you know, to, to geek out, the nature of a complex thing is that whatever you do to it changes it and affects it. So to think that we can have impact measurement is makes things impossible. We need to do things in more um, tangible, immediate, actionable steps so that we, we do one intervention, which could be changing our product or a, an experience or a campaign. And we gather really good insights because action gives us better visibility of the problem we're trying to solve. So it's flipping it from, great, let's go solve loneliness to what action are you going to take now? What will we learn about it? And then what will we do next? Mm. So from a business side, it's about being accountable to themselves. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So defining those sort of bits there. Yeah. And, and we're getting towards the end of the discussion. I want, I'll, I'll close, it, close it off. But it, um, how do you kind of keep the momentum going? Well, what I got really excited about, I think a lot of people did that, I, I sort of sort of people I people I'm connected with, but also just on social media, people going who might have sort of had anxieties of life all the time. They kind of used to say, "Oh, I feel less anxious now because oh, maybe the whole world's in pain." And there's there's a, there was a sense of it's not nice, but change was happening. Like in some of our research, people were talking about going, "It's horrible, but the environment's getting a breather. The environment's coming back to life." So. They could see that potential change was occurring. And then in much of the world, we started reverting back to our old ways. And it was a bit scary, kind of like in some ways we thought, wow, this is a really good year of change, massive change. And then people fall back into comfort and, and, and roll on. How do we ensure that individuals and businesses take the disaster and chaos of 2020 and change from it? Big question. Yeah. Um, I think that times like these are a really good opportunity to have a think about what really matters, uh, which I think everybody's doing, you know, from a, a personal to through to a political um, sort of space. Um, I think what we then fail to do is is move beyond that you know it, it's easy and I, it, this is very much ingrained into human behavior of um feeling more connected when we're all vulnerable and actually that's one of the biggest levers you can pull to trigger action in a humanitarian context is somebody experiencing vulnerability so yeah, okay. most people volunteering are people who are experiencing their own sense of vulnerability in, in whatever way shape or form and i think that's what we've seen this year so I, I don't think it's so much um, businesses or brands having the answer, you know, being able to say, right, this is what I'll do. I think that's why this feels like the right time for DOA to launch is because there's a huge number of businesses, brands and leaders who are actually looking for somebody to coach them through that and to say, this is what the, the aspiration could look like, extract that from them. Yeah. This is what the roadmap looks like and this is how we're going to create metrics that help hold you to account. I think the one thing that I would encourage any uh, leaders out there to be thinking about is a bit of a doctrine around how you make decisions. Um, 
So if you've got that sort of aspiration mm. in mind, what are the things um, that really inform your decisions, whether that's individually or collectively at, a, at an enterprise level? Um, and what are the choices and trade-offs? So when are the times that you will say, actually, when this happens, we prioritise the aspiration over the profit? So I think the ability to really articulate those trade-offs is um, a very good way to keep yourself in check. Having those those clear guidelines, it's almost a bit like, say, from an agency side of mm. what are the sort of organisations we work with versus not work with. Yeah. Is that, is that fair? Like, yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and you know, you can think that through in the sense of what are the signals that would tell us we've, we've moved, moved off track. And so it may be the clients we work with, it may be engagement scores or, um, you know, brand scores, whatever that looks like, depending on what that, that aspiration is. So I think get clear on where you want to take this and what really sings to what you think the DNA is about. And I think um, there's some great work by Shift uh, Thinking who have a, this is, we are X to the world and insert your, your descriptor. It's what we always have been and always will be for the world. And I think if you can answer a statement like that and then say, what are the signals that will tell us whether we're on or off track? It's a very simple exercise to yeah. go, great, let's print that out and you know have it in, in every meeting. Yeah. Do you have a, a, a DOA any organisations or types of organisations go, we're not going to work with them? Like no. a sector or anything? No, no definitely no. not. Um, I think that, that that comes to a head when you move into those first conversations, for sure. So, um, and I think it, it comes down to the leaders and the people that, that make up that business and brand. You know, I have this hope that there is a little bit of good in in every business and brand i think you're right nobody wakes up and thinks well there's very few exceptions that that wake up and think i'm going to create the baddest business that i can it's the worst possibly for the world i think we struggle to align on what we think is great for the world and the reality of that and so we want to help people align (laughs) that aspiration and reality how would you filter out there are realistically there are organizations that maybe don't make ethical decisions or in your mind yeah how do you make that not necessarily just from from your business but from say an agency side or 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 a a broader business side how do you make that decision of we're not going to work with them like like, let's say there's a a politician with questionable morals or let's say a smoking company or uh, probably that's becoming a little bit sort of outdated now because people aren't smoking anymore, but or a nuclear arms or I don't know. Is, is there a line that you kind of go, oh, maybe we wouldn't work with them? Or is it about is it about if they're coming to you, they're obviously looking to change? Yeah, well, I think one of the major filters we've got is that proposition. You know, I don't think we have had many clients seeking us out who are looking for a simple story that celebrates the good of their brand the the people looking to work with doa are people that that want to do massive amounts of good and and impact um but want to make sure that's happening in really potent ways or are not sure where to start Mm. or um if they're heading down the right track i think you know where we focus our energy is who are the people we want surrounding us in the Mm. network and i think that's um a much more active decision to be making. I think the ones that, that you don't want to work with, A, self-select out because of how yeah, clear okay. our proposition is, but B, um, you know, I, I think we bring an equal amount of light and shade. So I look forward to many um, 
friction-filled conversations with with clients or potential clients where, you know, we start our kickoff meetings by saying you might be thinking you want to play in, in gender, but have you thought about cotton or your supply chain? So we we want to provoke our clients to, to reflect and think deep, and I think that's the value we bring. Yeah, essentially looking for clients who in a big way or a small way are looking to make to change the world, to, to make some some positive change. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's and, and it's hard to change the world. Everybody wants to change the world, but it's hard to do it and they need some help. Yeah. yeah. We just want to give them those first few steps and um, see if we can help everybody feel a little more practical and a little more brave. Okay. Final point. We started off with you as an eight year old. Do you mm. have any suggestions for young people, kids, young adults, young at heart of what they should be doing to optimize their future? Yeah, wow. Um, that's, you know, something that I, I think a lot about. Um, <laughs> How old are your kids? I, my kid is seven. Seven. So, yeah. yeah, we're right in the thick of that. And I think what fills, what he fills a room with is amazing optimism um, and, and calm. So they sort of say you're sent what you need and, that, and that's probably exactly what I need. <laughs> um, but I've spent a lot of time working with some incredible young leaders and I think the overwhelming um, energy from, from those guys is um, responsibility and angst and, you know, inheriting these massive amounts of problems. Who And they've grown up in an era where things move quickly and yet our generation and older are, are slower-moving beasts. And like anybody, you know, I said earlier that I, I'm very clear that I'm sitting in the unknown unknown space i'm still learning every single day um so i think there's an increasing frustration so my my advice um to myself and and to anyone sort of sitting in that space is to generate conversation and dialogue um and and to do that in ways that that uh create safe friction is the way that i describe it and that's actually how we structure our teams is we build friction into it we have made it way too easy for social sorting to play out. So we surround ourselves with people who have similar um, political views and social views. And actually um, what young people need is to feel safe to challenge and yeah. to drive things really hard. And I think I feel very responsible, um, as I hope many other uh, leaders in this space do, to create spaces that, that celebrate and accelerate um, through friction. Yeah. And to discuss politics, worldviews, all of those things, and feel safe to offer those opinions without being, mm. um, yeah. Without and to being. disagree and to find a way forward, you know. I think that that's, we, we've lost a bit of an art form um, with that one. And I think with the decade ahead, again, those things that amplify action is we need to bring the shadows and the disagreement and the black hats and we need to find more constructive ways to be able to navigate that stuff, which is why we, we want a really solid diversity of clients so that we can make sure we're bringing the worldviews into the room to nut that out mm. and figure out how we act. So why is the friction so important, just to finish off? Why does it matter? What, what is friction in a team or within a client um, relationship? What, why does friction matter? Friction matters because it helps you get beyond the surface level. I sort of describe it as getting under the hood. Um, 
because it's really easy, as I said, with complex problems, we have a human urge to just solve it, you know, like it's hard to think that there are X million people um, without a home or hundreds of thousands are dying. It's human nature for us to lean out. It's a bit like the bubble in a spirit level. Whereas encouraging a safe space where it's friction, the problem sits outside of us individually and we can move accountability and responsibility to be something that we collectively own, are creating and contributing to. And I think that, you know, when it comes to purpose, business and brands in particular, uh, trying to make it okay. So they go with the safest option. They, yeah. You know, they go with the safe bets of where they can have purpose. And we want to make it shift that business model so that it's okay to try and not get it quite right, to dabble yeah. in things that feel really uncomfortable and to know that friction is useful in getting richer outcomes um, that, that tackle multiple angles to be able to look at the issue or problem you want to solve. That's excellent. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Ebony. No worries at all. Thanks so much for your time, Jason. All the very best for the business in the decade ahead. Thanks so much. You too. See you later. Bye-bye.